0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Failed to Fail podcast. I am your host, Don Abernathy, and thank you guys for joining us for another episode. You know, I still don't know if I like this music or not. This theme song is just a little too, too generically jazzed for what we're trying to do here. I know this is an uplifting show and a motivational podcast, but that, uh, that theme song is just not doing it for me. I need to get out onto the public domain background music website source. And see if I can find us a better background song to use for this episode or these episodes. This podcast in general of the Fail to Fail podcast. Uh, Things are going great. Um, You know, Nugget and I went out and ran four miles last night. I took her to downtown Fort Myers. We went out and ran four miles. It was her first time completing the Fort Myers Bridge. Now, obviously, most of you don't live in southwest Florida. And so the Fort Myers Edison Bridge, named after Thomas Edison, located in the downtown river district of Fort Myers, it's a mile long each way. And we park a mile from the bridge. And so I got my 12 year old daughter to run with me the other day. We ran down to the bridge mile nonstop. She was doing like a, maybe a 1250 pace, maybe 13. And then we hung out there for like 45 seconds. And then she ran the entire bridge, the full mile up over I don't know how many feet high this bridge is. I'm going to say, well, I don't know, 100 and something. It's pretty darn high. It has to be high. It has to be tall enough for sailboats to go underneath. And uh, so it has quite an incline on it. And then the incline goes down. And it's got a long, maybe a three-quarter mile backstretch before you get to land. So we did the full mile. We rested up. And then we headed back. And uh, she had a good time. It was her first time doing the whole thing. Uh, once before she did half, where she ran up to the peak. Not even half. It's was like a quarter of a mile. Ran up to the peak complained took a picture and then we went back but uh, no she's uh reaching new personal goals and so are we here on the fail to fail podcast um you know for the last 10 years i've been buying a lot of windows logos for my uh, trucks usually say at computers or 410 designs was the first one I ever bought It's back in 2005 when digital 410 was 410 designs it was gonna be a t-shirt company but anyhow fast forward all these years I finally got a Cricut plotter, so now I can make my own vinyl stickers to uh, sell you guys for an affordable price. I've had some vinyl stickers made up in the past, but to be honest with you, the wholesale cost of them are way too high that after I would have added shipping to the price plus a little bit of a profit so that we could restock the inventory after we sold the first set of stickers, they would not be affordable. They wouldn't be at a price point that I, as a consumer, would buy them, so I sure wasn't going to even... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Insult you guys by offering them up to you for that price. So that's why I never did them. I printed some up. I gave a few away. But uh, so some fail to fail podcast and digital 410 podcast and all the other good podcast stickers coming up here soon. And as you guys know, this episode of the fail to fail podcast is brought to you by our friends at at computers. Speaking of at computers and all the stickers we bought over the years, at computers has been providing IT service for all Southwest Florida since 2004. Whether it's the footprint of your business, network, Wi-Fi, even hardwired for that matter. Uh, domain management, domain rollout, server installs, computer break and fix, even residential, we do it all. If you need that screen replaced on your laptop after your uh, kid knocked it on the floor and broke it, don't buy a whole new laptop. Let us replace the screen. We can help you guys out. I know you're saying, you're saying, Don, I don't live in Southwest Florida, so how could that computers possibly help me? Well, as long as you have a working internet connection, they can help you by remoting into your computer and helping you with all of your issues. So give them a call at 239-283-1120 and they can help you. But right now, if you call them up or hit them up on Facebook and say the word podcast, don't matter. Just say podcast. It's generic. Just say podcast and they will hook you up with their online backup. You can back up all of your data. Be safe. Protect your peace of mind. Be completely safe for the entire year. 2020 at 7 cents a gig per month. So that's $0.07 cents a gig per month for the entire year of 2020. Back up all your data, have it safe, safe from encryption, safe from viruses, safe from hard drive crashes, any of those things happen, you'll have all your data back. So it's all stored online and backed up nightly. So give them a call, 239-283-1120, or hit them up on their Facebook or any social media pages, or email them even at, you know, you can even email me, don at pmwizard.com. Send me an email, and we'll get in touch with you and hook you up a small online backup They offer online security, such as Viper endpoint security, as well as two-form authentication. If you want to log into any of your remote applications for work securely, we can help you up with that service, too. 239-283-1120. And last plug, last bang over the head, please, if you don't mind, do me a solid. Become a member of the OG5. Go to Patreon. Go to -to failtofail.com or d-410.com. Click on that Patreon link on the right-hand side if you're on a PC or Mac, if you're on a smartphone or a tablet. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and you'll see a Patreon link. Click on that link. Sign up. The first tier is a dollar month. The dollar month gives you access to the same exclusive content that the $7.50 a month plan and the $3 a month plan provide. But it's only a dollar month. That's your way of saying, hey, I like you. But if you want to say, hey, I love you, sign up for the $3.50 a month plan. That'll get you all the same access to all the same exclusive content except for the free t-shirts. If you want a free t-shirt after month two, sign up for the $7.50 a month plan. And after month two, I'll send you a free t-shirt of your liking. And regardless of what plan you sign up for, whenever I make these new stickers and things of that nature, I usually give them to the OG5 for free. I'll hit them up on Patreon and say, hey, what's your email address? And I email you free stuff. So, all more reason to join. Not only do you get free stuff occasionally, you get a free t shirt if you sign up for the $750 a month plan, you get access to exclusive YouTube videos. But if you like podcasts, and I bet you do, that's why you're listening to this one, we do have a Patreon exclusive podcast called the What's in Your Head podcast. And I'm about to go record one here in a few minutes. All these things you have access for through the Patreon plan, doesn't matter which tier. So, go to d-410.com or fail to fail.com click on that patreon link sign up and we'll love you forever and joining us now via the phones he's a cape core resident i came across him on instagram and i like what he has going on he's got a very interesting life and he's got a great business and an all around kind of motivational thing and so i thought he'd be great to have on the show and here he is joining us now mr Corey brown let me give everybody a little uh Background of Mr. Corey Brown. Corey Brown is a uh, he is the he is the head instructor, founder of the Black Tie Brazilian Jiu Jitsu um, Dojo. He holds a first degree black belt in B, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu, G National Championship brown belt, ADCC USA First National Championship Pro Expert Division, MSOA Pro Absolute 16 Man Invite Champion. MMAC Light Absolute Champion, 6X NAGA Expert Champion, and a whole bunch of other alphabetical soup that we can go down. But before we do that, let's just get Corey on the phone. Corey, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on, man. That is a hell of a resume, and that's only like the first five lines. This is like three pages of stuff, and you're not a old man. You're, what, 32?
1: Yeah, I, I just turned 32 back in August.
0: How does someone... Generate that sort of resume in such a short period of time, but I guess to be fair to our audience, before we answer that question, let's go back a little bit. Obviously, you're in Cape Coral now. I cheated; I had the advantage of being able to look up some information on you beforehand. But uh, share to our audience where you're from, where you grew up, how things came to be.
1: Well, originally I'm from Central Virginia. I am from Fredericksburg, Pennsylvania area. Um, That's where I and I, I trained out of there with the lab. Uh, mixed martial arts under uh, chad LeBron. he 's uh, my professor um, where I received my black belt um, I started with him oh at a not shortly after high school um and training with some of him and his some of his um, some of his students
0: what got you and um what got you interested in doing that i mean was that something you know was it movies as a kid was it something you're interested in were you always kind of into uh you know, wrestling and roughhousing and all that. As a small child, what kind of led you down the path of getting into something that could cause uh, some physical pain to you?
1: Well, yeah, I, I actually I started wrestling when I was about 11 years old. Um, I was a smaller kid, um, and I, I liked to play rough. I played uh, t-ball and basketball and stuff, and I loved, um, I liked to play, uh, <laughs> I liked the roughhouse with my friends. I, I, I grew up watching pro wrestling. So we would, like, set up the tarp in the yard and, you know, bring, you know do power bombs on each other and stuff like that. Get and then, your dad's uh,
0: ladder out and do all the turnbuckle stuff?
1: Yeah, all that stuff. I grew up, like, idolizing, like, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and stuff like that. And we would go out in the yard and try to emulate it. And uh, so then I found out there was a sport, and, you know. You know, they told me it was wrestling. And at that time, I was pretty young, so I thought it was going to be similar.
0: And so you and, showed uh, up to practice with your um, onesie and your makeup and your um, ultimate warrior outfit, and were greatly disappointed.
1: Yeah, I was not. Uh, I was not happy with the uh, singlet, you know, because back then I started wrestling. I so think it was 1999, like back in that time. You know, kids didn't wear, you know, singlets. Like now, being a wrestler is cool. You know what I mean? Because everyone knows what UFC is, sure, Couture and, and all that stuff. But back then, kids would be like, "Oh, you wear a onesie or whatever."
0: Yeah, back then it was a onesie and aces shoes. You always knew the wrestlers, you can tell them by the wrestling shoes. Yeah. You're either a wrestler or if you grew up in the eighties, you're a what they called a hood. Someone who listened to right. like hair band music had uh stonewashed jean jackets and aces shoes. Well, <laughs> well you kinda got lucky a little bit. Yes, this was before the time of um, you know, the mixed martial arts, you know, the UFC and all that was still kinda picking up steam. But you're kinda lucky to be thirty one and grow up where you did because Five years later, the crackdown on boys being boys in school was like in full force. And so you can't get away with the roughhousing at recess and doing all the things that boys naturally want to do. People don't realize boys naturally instinctively have, well, I just said the word instinct to wrestle, to roughhouse, to right. to show dominance and find their way amongst their friends on that ladder of hierarchy. And nowadays that's kind of, there's a war on boyhood almost. And if you would have grew up five, 10 years later, you may have not have gone down the path you're at now.
1: Yeah. And then the neighborhood I lived in, you know, there was a bunch of other boys that like the rough house. I mean, we would fight with hockey sticks and and, and, and sticks we'd make from the woods and sure. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. You know, throw rocks at each other. We played played very, very rough. You know what I mean? Like nowadays, you know Yeah, it's a little different, you know, how you know, kids play and know uh, more, you know, video games and and all that stuff. So it was just, it was, yeah, it was a little bit of a different time back then. But well, I had a I,
0: flashback I, just I, now. You were talking about how, you know, the things beating each other with hockey sticks and all that. <laughs> back in like third grade, the first Skate or Die video game came out on Nintendo. And uh, there was a game mode in there. They had like a jousting mode. And then there was like a mode where guys had like, you know, it's completely fantasy, but they had like the Masons and all that stuff. And we lived on a place called Rickenbacker Air Force Base. And my brother was in, you know, junior Civil Air Patrol and he had access to the base. And so we'd get on the PX and we bought this big roll of paracord. And as the name implies, this is the rope used on parachutes. And we went home and we tore the heads off our stuffed animals. We wrapped the paracord around it. And then we went down by the old abandoned movie theater because this place was set up for World War II. And so it was a whole community. But now in 1989, 1990, it's completely abandoned. And we would come down this nice, straight, smooth road. No pads. Kids didn't wear pads back then unless you're at a skate park and they required it. We would go at each other full force on our skateboards with these stuffed animals tied to heads, tied to paracord, fling them over our head like we're knights. And we would have these jousting contests on concrete, <laughs> just beating the holy <laughs> hell out of each other with stuffed animal heads tied to the end of paracord. <laughs> you do that nowadays and someone's getting put in juvie. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's hilarious. You know, we used to do something similar with a log. There was a log I would be, um, there was like these like ravines back behind my house, and they would be like a log that we would lay across the ravine, and we would get on the log and try to knock each other mm-hmm. off the
0: sticks. <laughs> I don't think kids play King of the Mountain anymore.
1: No, not like that. <laughs>
0: and so now you yeah. you and your neighborhood kids, you guys are playing King of the Mountain. You're knocking each other off the of logs. You're beating each other up with homemade hockey sticks trying to prove your manliness. And uh, so where did it go from there?
1: Uh, From there, I got into uh, wrestling in school, and uh, I wrestled through middle school, high school, and then uh, after high school, I, um, and that was pretty much all I really did. I mean, in high school, I really didn't do much else. I didn't play other sports. I didn't go to, like, school functions or anything like that. I pretty much just wanted to wrestle and lift weights, and uh, after it ended, I really didn't know, like, what to do with myself because you know that was really something that gave me a, a goal. You know what I mean? Like, I had a my goal was to you know wrestle or you know see how far I could go and whatnot. Um, my grades kind of sucked,
0: so sure. I couldn't
1: like go to a college. You know, like like a, like a where they would have a college wrestling program. So I had to go to a community college. And when I went there to, you know, I was looking to get my grades up to so I could hopefully go wrestle, you know, in college. And that's where I met a kid from another wrestling team, another high school. And uh he told me I should try out MMA. And so I went down to this MMA gym and I started rolling and um I fell in love with it. And uh I figured out how they hold jujitsu tournaments. I figured out what they they called, you know, they called naga. you know, is what he told me. Naga uh, is like a a pretty pretty popular grappling tournament. Now they're all they're all over the country. I mean back then I think they were doing maybe like 10 a year.
0: Well back then know? they were still shaking off the bad publicity and bad um you know legacy that came along with the tough man contest. Before there was an official mixed martial arts and a a league and a UFC and sanctioned bodies, you would have yeah. you would have um tough man Contest, usually bars or you know some back sporting arena and and it was literally—you would have a street fighter come in, some guy who you know rode around the motorcycle club for thirty years who used to bash people's heads in with you know his fist and chains. You obviously you wouldn't use the chains in a tough man contest, but this is a guy who would bar fight versus you know somebody who knew karate versus somebody. But it was literally as, as rudimentary as you can get as mixed martial arts, and then of course you had the the blood sport movies come out that kind of led a bad light to it, and so a lot of a lot of states and a lot of townships it was illegal. And so it took a long time for the UFC to, you know, get some credibility around mixed martial arts. And as that credibility grew and as the sport grew, Brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of took a leading role as far as the main form of the martial arts in mixed martial arts. Obviously, there's still a lot of grappling and wrestling, but would it be fair to say that Brazilian jiu-jitsu took a more dominant role than, let's say, a karate or, you know, a taekwondo?
1: I would say so, yeah, because of the whole, uh, one with Hoyce Gracie. Or he, they, they, they kind of, they kind of had, you know, more or less a represent, a representative of each style of fighting. You know, someone, were, there was a boxer, there was a karate guy, and then there was a jiu-jitsu guy. And, you know, Hoyce Gracie ended up in winning all of his matches. And, um, that's kind of where I think jujitsu became more of the, um, dominant arts Now, I and mean, then back then, I think you'd see a lot of ground fighters dominating, mm-hmm. mostly it was wrestlers, uh, someone with a heavy wrestling base, that also knew jiu-jitsu. They used to be winning like uh, Matt Hughes, for example. But nowadays, nowadays, it's like, um, you gotta be good at everything. These, these guys come up training everything at once. Um, you don't see as many, like, specialists, like specialists in one area anymore. Some, you know, like, you got some guys... Like, um, you know, some of the champions now were like a college, you know, D1 wrestler or whatever, but their striking's also phenomenal as well. So it's just more well-rounded. But back then, yeah, I'd say jiu-jitsu became like the um, dominant art. You know, BJ Penn, uh Royce Gracie, and, all, and guys like that.
0: Sure. And the nice thing about um, UFC, Bellator, and all those shining that light and, and becoming household names um, the other stigma that took away because there's a lot of you know a lot of misconception once again you're going from tough man contest to you you hear ultimate fighting champion you know and you're thinking well gosh these guys are pounding the hell out of each other and people just assume that uh, head trauma is at a higher rate than the well known long we love boxing but it's actually the yeah. complete opposite because you know as you said there's more grappling involved there's more kicks more better blocks whereas right. boxing it's literally You know, with the exception of the occasional shot to the ribs, it's primarily try to punch each other in the head the whole time. And so there's actually a lot more head trauma in boxing. And that's why you see a lot more of the retired boxers having um, mental cognitive issues versus, you know, a lot more of the retired MMA guys are going on to do TV and sports casting and all that. All their faculties are still there because it is a safer sport.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I I agree. I mean, if you look at some of the statistics, I mean, I I see the articles pop up. I'm I'm on social media, um, pretty frequently because of the gym stuff, and sure. I try to you know stay active with the students and the community. But I I feel I read articles and stuff like that. But uh, I I see a lot of articles pop up recently about boxers that have suffered brain mm-hmm. trauma, or I think one maybe it might have been a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months. have this track of time anymore, but. There was a boxer that died recently, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, you don't really see that same kind of brain damage with the MMA community, at least not yet, you know. Um, the one thing I have noticed with the MMA community is uh, I've seen fighters suffering from weight cuts. Uh, some of the weight cutting getting kind of extreme.
0: Sure. Often,
1: but then, I, but I think, I believe somebody died in, from cutting weight a couple months ago. Uh, I think it was in Brazil. Um, but I'm starting to see more articles, uh, based
0: upon that. So, um, wasn't well, it a safer bet that if you're borderlining a different weight division, obviously if you're, you know, you're a middleweight champion, you don't want to gain weight and go to the, you know, heavyweight because you're, you want to defend your championship. But one would figure it would be easier to gain five, six pounds of muscle and fat and go up instead of trying to cut 10 to go down to, to meet unless you're doing a catch weight sort of thing. And I guess if you do that yo-yoing enough, it has to have a tremendous effect on your body. It'd be interesting to see where Christian Bale fails in another fifteen years, because he, as an actor, he does that. He'll go yeah. and cut fifty, sixty pounds to to do a role like in *The Mechanic*, and then gain fifty, sixty pounds to do another movie. And I can't be good, you know, to do it cons- no. consecutively and consistently.
1: That fluctuating weight, no. And I've been, uh, you know, I've had extreme weight cuts. I've had matches where I've cut no weight and I've had a match where I cut 17 pounds in a matter of six hours
0: and, and then you hit uh, the weight in and 24 hours later I mean you put some of the weight back on but when yeah. you get into the the octagon you gotta be what you are probably walking into 89 percent at best right there's no way you know doing a 17 pound weight cut you're walking into the octagon at 100 percent, are you
1: no, no definitely not because you're not fully hydrated um when, and that also plays a role in, you know, for the fighters, like, they, you know, um, your ability to take a punch, you know, because there's you know, the, the fluids around your brain and whatnot. Um, but you're definitely not at 100% for sure. Um, like, for example, this year I went to um, two different worlds uh, for jiu-jitsu. I went to the SJJ world and I went to the IBJJF world. And the SJJ world, I had a smooth weight cut. I just ate real clean throughout the whole, the whole time. Um, I had to sweat out very little weight, um, and I felt really good when I went out there. I ended up winning my first two matches in under, well, the first one was under 40 seconds. The second one was yeah. under 30 seconds, and then I lost in the finals on a couple points uh, to, uh, to a tough opponent. And then I, I went to the IBJJF Worlds in December, and uh, I had to, I had a little, uh, little tougher time with the weight cut. I had to sit in a dry sauna because the jacuzzi wasn't working. And uh, I, I had to suffer a little more, and I definitely felt the difference. you know, being hydrated and having to, to suffer a little more, I mean, night and day. I mean, I felt way better um, at the World in November than I did in December.
0: Yeah, because when you do those weight cuts, you, you literally have to sweat that water weight up. And, and, you know, for people who aren't familiar, like, why don't you go running? Run, road work won't cut weight, because as a runner I know, If you go out and run, I mean, yeah, you probably could do some road work, but if you do road work, you probably have to limit the mileage because I know from doing long-distance runs, like the other day I ran 12 miles, your body will actually hold on to anywhere between 3 to 5 pounds worth of water weight for up to 2 to 3 days because it's not sure if you're going to go out and do that trauma to it again. So road work is not a valid way to uh, to cut weight. It actually puts it on. Yeah,
1: I usually do it in a tub or a jacuzzi. That's how I usually do it. If I do it in a tub, I'll put a um, bag of Epsom salts in there with me. I used to do green rubbing alcohol and uh, alkaline. but now I just I, I try not to get to where I need to use those things. I try to sweat out mm, five mm, is matched. I don't even like to do five anymore. I try to keep it under four um, the night before a match. Because, like, at those worlds, with like the IBJJF or, you know, and Pan, Pan- Americans, too, I did this. I um I had to sweat out about three pounds and it was in the bathtub and uh, I felt a lot you know I feel a lot better doing that method as opposed to running like back in high school I didn't know that we would just set the stairwell to a hundred you know and one degrees yep. put bags on three layers of uh, sweats and run and I'd run like two hundred stairs yep. and that would kill the legs but back then I didn't I didn't know that you know what I mean I didn't have anybody to tell me these things you know. So, like, through trial and error and, you know, just just learning from other, you know, competitors or wrestlers or whatnot, I I start learning more tricks in the trade. But that has been one way that I've um, been able to cut weight and feel a lot better, you know, cutting out the running or even the dry sauna. I hate the dry sauna. It saps me. I'm exhausted afterwards, but, like, I definitely have more success with a hot tub or a hot, hot bath.
0: Do you prefer to put like a uh, a ceiling, or I I don't know? I guess the word window on your um, acceptance of a match, so that you can go to camp and control the amount of weight you have to. Because obviously, if you if you take on a match within a week. And then obviously there's a huge weight class difference. Then you're you're struggling to cut. But if you say, okay, I know a month in advance, I can go to camp and I can control my walking around weight, so that when the weigh-in comes, I'm not trying to cram for the exam and go out and cut tremendous amounts of weight. I would assume it's it's a little healthier and better for your game to kind of handle it that way.
1: Well, um, with Jiu-Jitsu, usually they're they're pretty. They're usually the guys on uh, your opponent. You can kind of agree upon a weight like say i have like a super match or or, or whatnot um i could you know say hey let's meet at 170 or or i'll tell I'll you like her, a catch a weight match, let's meet at 175 but like if it's like the worlds or the pans like i know the dates flow well in advance sure uh, i'll pick a reasonable weight class and they weigh you right before you go on i mean you miss weight um i mean you're over by an ounce they DQ you right on the spot so you've you have no leeway there. So I would, you know, always just pick a reasonable weight, which I kind of like, you know, because I don't have a cut a crazy amount of weight. Because I, I, I like the, I, I love and hate day before weigh because, uh, you, 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 you got the guys, guys are going to kill themselves more. You'll have bigger opponents killing themselves to get to a lighter weight and just rehydrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's nice that you get to eat that night and, and whatnot and breakfast the next day. But then again, um, you know, you gotta kill yourself to get there. You know, and it might affect your performance the next day. I, I so I, I do kind of like the way some of these tournaments, like Ivy JGF and SJJIF, do do their uh, weigh-ins. They do it like it's probably fifteen minutes before your match. You weigh in with your attire, uh, what you're gonna compete in, right then and there, and you go out there. So I, I see the plus to both.
0: You know, and I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with boxing or even uh, mixed martial arts, they think the weigh-in. Okay, they they weigh in they put their clothes back on and get out in the ring. No, the weigh ins the day before. And so then once the weigh ins done, it's let's head down to the buffet. It's, it's let's, you know, Hey, hand me a water, a Gatorade, and let's go get some protein. And, you know, that person, like you were just saying, could easily pack seven, eight, 10 pounds back on overnight. And then you're not technically in the same weight class during the fight. But, you know, that's just the way it's always been. Yeah, definitely.
1: Oh yeah. you they, They'll easily, they'll easily put 20 pounds on sometimes easily. What's I've done it before myself
0: well what's your <laughs> what's your daily diet regimen? Well, you know one of the things I like to say on this show is a diet doesn't work, it's a lifestyle change, so what's your lifestyle eating habits
1: my <laughs> My lifestyle's pretty much this i um I wake up in the morning uh a little after six. And then I'll do strength training. I have a setup in my garage. Just depending on what I need that day, I might go to the gym. Like, I go to Anytime Fitness. Sure. um, And I'll do some strength training um, either in my garage or at that gym. And then after that, I'll go to work. I work at a glass company in Naples. We do windows, showers, and mirrors. (laughs) And then I'm there from 8.30 to 5. Then when I get off, I go to my gym, and then I teach. And then when I teach – you know, I teach for maybe two hours and then we roll. I roll with all the students and I'll, I'll, we'll do live sparring for like, you know, half an hour. Um, and then on the weekends I train as well. I do 10 10 minute rounds every Saturday, which is like two hours of rolling. That's like our competition training. So that's what my, my physical regimen looks like. As far as my diet, I don't follow like, I don't like time out or like, weigh my meals or anything like that. I just try to eat pretty clean and just stay within guidelines, you know, especially like with my crazy schedule because I go between Cape Coral and Naples.
0: Yeah, it's a long drive. uh,
1: Every, you know, Monday through Friday. I, um, you know, usually for breakfast I'll have some eggs. Uh, Half the time I drink them because I don't have time to cook them. (laughs) And then uh, maybe a couple hours later I'll have some Greek yogurt, um, some fruit like a banana. I will eat protein bars. Like I like the Power Crunch bars. Um, for example um and then i'll also have like um for like before training i might have some chicken like a chicken breast and some rice i'm actually addicted to these chicken and rice bowls at um Publix. they're really good they make have you ever
0: been to food. this isn't a plug but have you ever been to, um pat nellis chicken grill
1: no not yet there's
0: one on college parkway right next to the starbucks where they're building that big one and, uh-huh. and you go in there, and they have chicken and rice bowls, or I like to get the Greek bowl. It's essentially a gyro on a bed of rice. Oh, wow. And they'll give you the pita. I always say, keep the pita. It's, no thanks, because oh, the rice wow. is oh, enough yeah. carbs. But it's, I mean, if you like getting rice bowls from Publix, um, there's another place that's called Maverick Grill. It's on Colonial. It's basically one, one of the disgruntled partners from uh, Pat It's the same damn restaurant, just military-based. Uh-huh. But if you like gyros or chicken, just go in there and get one of their Greek bowls. You'll love it.
1: Oh, cool. Okay, I'll check that out. I'll check that out. I'm still figuring out the area. I've been here uh, a little over three years, so I'm still kind of figuring things out. My my schedule's crazy. I mean, I probably, between the gym and my work, it's basically like 90-hour weeks between everything I do.
0: People don't understand that travel has a huge... It's a battle when it comes to someone's eating habits. Um, obviously, you're driving that much. It requires a lot of gas, and every time you walk into a gas station, let's be honest, you have a half aisle of some pistachios and some cashews and some bottled water, but the rest of it is just garbage. And yeah. Before I lost my weight, that's part of the reason why I gained so much weight, is because I, I fixed computers. I used to work in radio, and I drive 130 miles a day. That's a lot of stops at gas stations and a lot of fast food. And Every time I'd walk into 7-Eleven, it was a two glazed donuts, it was a pack of four-pack Reese cups, a big-ass Mountain Dew. That would be two stops a day. Then for lunch, I would get to fast food. And then fast-forward, everybody who listens to podcast already knows, I cut out the soda, I cut out the donuts, I start going to Publix, I'd get a half a pound of Sausalito turkey, about four slices of three pepper Colby, put it in the same bag, Spread it up, eat it with a fork. Now it's all protein, no carbs, and way to go. And that'll hold me over till dinner. But yeah. ba- back to you, now I was doing some research on you and an article I, I read who was doing a, a press release on your business. They brought up something pretty interesting and it was, um, you're quoted saying it's not traditional to start a uh, gym in the town in which you train. And I guess that's kind of a, a nice way of saying you don't shit where you eat, meaning that, uh, obviously what you do, there isn't a huge, you know, demographic for it. Like, uh, unlike computer repair where everybody has four computers in the house, there's going to be a smaller pool of people getting into uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so you don't, uh, out of respect for the guy who trained you, you don't want to open a gym in the same town and take his potential students away from him. correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Um,
0: and so that's and that what led was, you down here?
1: That was kind of what led me down here, uh, yeah, pretty much because my um, I had a, a, my jiu-jitsu instructor, Chad, who ranked me, he was in Fredericksburg, which is the town where I was, was from. Um, and then I had an MMA coach whose his name was Rick McCoy, and I trained at MMA Institute in Richmond. So I would drive an hour in the morning most days during the week to do my, you know, to do training down there. Because um, they had competition training, even when I was grappling, um, you know, after I decided I just wanted to focus on grappling. I would go down there and, and train with those guys in the morning because I had a lot of tough guys, and I, you know, I got a lot of instruction from Rick, um, helped me a lot on my leg, my leg attacks and, and whatnot. not. But um, anyways, yeah, that's it's true because I I would never want to open a gym, uh, you know, within at least I would say forty-five minutes of my instructor I would say would be proper, because um, you just don't want it, to it's it's kind of like just like any other business really you know like say like say like uh, oh say you're an electrician and you you have a boy that you train out of high school and you you get him you know to where he's you know good in his, his craft. And then he opens up, you know, two blocks away. It's kind yeah. of messed up, you know? So I would never, you know, put, you know, my instructor or, you know, in that kind of a situation. You know, it's just not, it's not proper. So I, when I decided I wanted to open my gym, I knew I pretty much had to choose between like Northern Virginia or head out into Western Virginia. But um, with a lot of those, the towns out in the mountains there in, West, in the Western part of our state, there really isn't a big population. For like what we do, um or there was already you know pretty big gyms in those areas, so I, I was really limited. Well, so out we in the rural Appalachian,
0: out in the rural Appalachian area, I mean, people don't realize there's still such an economic uh depravity and difference between you know classes. And so when you go out into the deep, you know, Western Virginia or even West Virginia for that matter, there's people out there who, you know, they're their towns' economies are hurting so bad, coal mining's you know being affected, and that a lot of them don't have the enough money to pay their bills or eat, let alone you know send their kids off to take mar- martial yeah. arts somewhere. And so it's really not a good place for a business model.
1: Yeah, it's right. It was like when my brother went to school way out in the panhandle of uh, Virginia, and then I mean, and out there you either you either you either flip burgers or you work at McDonald's or you work at the or you know you, or you work at the college or you. You're a coal miner, and that's pretty much what it's like out there. Um, But my my wife, uh, her family's actually from Naples, and um, my mother's side of the family, they live in Melbourne. I actually have a cousin here in in Estero and uh, an aunt in the area as well. So we had family in this area. So we were kicking around ideas, and we just decided to make the move down here. We like Florida. I like the vibes. I like the environment, the weather, of course. Um, It's a nice area to raise kids. I have two daughters. I have a 3-year-old and a 10-year-old. Um, so we just decided this would be a nice place to move and, uh, just start from scratch. I I really, I really took a, I really dove in head first here. I, I knew I wanted to start my gym. I mean, I bought that house. I bought my house literally before I even set foot in it. I bought it over Skype, and um, I had bought it before either of us even had a job. Nice. I told my, I told my wife, I said, we're going to make it work. I don't care if I have to work at Seven Eleven, hundred 100 hours a week and, and run a gym. I'm going to make it work. So we just picked this spot on the map. It dove in head first, you? now it's working out well.
0: Do you think the history you have with um, wrestling, the mixed martial arts, the dedication and drive it takes to succeed in that world has benefited you in what it takes to succeed in business. Yeah, definitely. Because one thing I learned from wrestling, I mean, is, is to never
1: quit. You know, no matter how tired I am. You know, there's days I get up and I am so tired. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't feel like going to work or driving to Naples. Like it, it breeds a different mentality in you from a young age to not quit, to not break and to keep pushing, keep pushing, you know what i mean? And that comes from the diets, the the, the the grueling training sessions in a 100 degree room. Uh it, it just makes you, just, you know, more, you know, I, I felt it, I feel it makes you more adept um adept I guess, to deal with life. You know, I think it made me a better person. I think it made me a harder worker and it made me determined. You know, um it just, uh, there's so many aspects to wrestling, the team environment, giving back to your team, you know, giving back to your coaches. um, You know, it's, it's, it's one-on-one. I made a post on Instagram today. You probably saw it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it's one-on-one out there, but you're not alone. You know, like with my gym, for example, um, like I compete these days and I grind for my students, for my family, for my friends as well. You know, so I have, you know, those guys push me to that next level. Um, because I don't want to let them down, you know, for my kids and, and everyone in my life. But, um, yeah, definitely wrestling just, it it just breeds that mentality to never quit, you know, because when I moved here, I was not going to quit. I was going to make this work. I didn't care what I had to do, where I had to work, you know, dig ditches, whatever, you know, while I was getting my gym up and running. But it, it, yeah definitely i'm so glad i did it I, I recommend it for young boys i tell all my i have a lot of teenage boys in my gym i recommend all of them to wrestle you know because it just it teaches you skills you know just you know on and off the mat you know i I do feel it prepares you better for life you know because life's full ups and downs and you know you learn that in wrestling you'll learn you'll have Days of glory, and you'll have days where you are at your lowest of lows, you know, after a tough loss or a weight cut, but it, it prepares you for life for sure.
0: Well, not only that, but to achieve success at regardless of what level, whether, you know, it's a local school competition, a regional, state, or even national, in order to achieve success in something physically based, such as wrestling yeah. or, or uh, bird design, jiu jitsu, MMA, and all that, it requires long long hours of training and dedication and if you have the intestinal fortitude and the drive to put in the work for the training to achieve that medal for that competition you know six months down the road clearly you're going to have that same drive to work those long hours because people don't realize you know i've been running a computer firm since 2004 and a lot of people who have never worked for a small business or worked for themselves, they've always worked for large corporations. A lot of people out there just assume if you own a business, you have money. That's not Definitely. the case. Um, what people don't realize, especially unless they've worked for small businesses and seen it firsthand, for at least the first 10, 20 years, I'd go on to say the, only, the key difference between working for yourself and working for somebody else is you make your own hours and you got to deal with all the nonsense. There will be times where you go weeks without a paycheck, whereas if you're working for somebody else you wouldn't put up with that you'd get up and quit and oh yeah, it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of drive and it takes a lot of support from your significant other if you have yeah. a if you have a partner whether you you know you're you're a woman running your own business or a man running your own business or whatever if you have a partner that's not understanding of what it takes um, they're not going to stick around for you not being home. They're not going to be down for Definitely. you coming home for an hour, taking a shower and going to bed and getting up and rinse and repeat. Uh, they're not going to deal with your lack of paycheck this week because, you know, you had to pay rent on your, your building or, you know, it's the beginning of the year and your clients took off two weeks for vacation and they haven't paid their invoices and, you know, checks aren't coming in the mail for the first 15 weeks of the month. And so you're behind. It, and They won't put up with that. And if you don't have the ability to get up and grind and take a loss and take a hit to the face, physically or you know metaphorically it's not for you if if you've been working if you're if you're a cat who one has the phrase in their vocabulary it's not my job description or you don't want to work a single minute over eight hours a day do not under any circumstances risk your family's finances by trying to open a business because your business will not succeed if you're putting in less than double full-time work it won't work
1: no absolutely absolutely yeah, I totally agree, you know, because I, I I totally agree, and I I I definitely um, have learned early on to never have that, you know, type of mindset, you know, you take pride in your work, you, you, you put in the extra hours, and that's what makes you an asset, you know, whether, you know, especially when you own your own business, you know what I mean, you are, <laughs> you know, you are, you, you depend on yourself, you know, so you definitely have to be willing to put in that extra work. That other people aren't willing to do
0: and so you buy yourself a house via skype sign sight unseen and you basically you you loaded up the truck and you moved to beverly naples that is and you put it all on the line and clearly you have a significant other who uh, was down for the cause yeah. and you've yeah. been in business for a short two years and uh i mean you're basically a baby at this point in, in the business world and yet things are striving and your business is taken off you're um your MMA, all your competitions, everything's seems to be at at least at this point rolling full steam. What's uh, what's next for you?
1: I'm gonna. Um, well, it, my vision for the gym is I, I always just try to make the gym a place where people come to feel comfortable, to have fun, you know. I, I and you know I want to make it uh, a place where everybody feels at home, from high level athletes to the guy that works the 9-to-5 that just wants to come to jiu twice a week to lose weight. That's what I was going to ask know.
0: you, if if you're basically, you train diehards only and you're you're all about the competitions, or if, you know, a 40-year-old fat cat like me, well, not fat cat as a money, but guy who was physically fat, wanted to come in there to add a little extra um, change up to their current fitness or wants to look for a, a way to get into fitness but doesn't enjoy the gym or running, what, what sort of um, classes do you offer?
1: We offer classes. Um, we have, well, we have two locations. We have Bonita Springs nice. and, uh, Cape, and Cape Coral.
0: Two years uh, and got two offices? What's that? I said only two years and you got two, you got two shops now?
1: Yeah, I have That's two awesome. gyms. Uh, I started Cape Coral first. Um, so, that gym, I have more students. I'd say I'm creeping up on the 80 students in the Cape between kids and adults because I do have uh, kids' classes. We've be only Usually take them at six, but we'll assess five-year-olds and whatnot. But uh, anyway, I have Cape Coral, probably about creeping up on 80 students. And then I have Bonita Springs, probably creeping up on, oh, I'd say I'm still under 30 there. Probably 25 would be a safe bet. That one's still newer. That one's just over a year old. Um, but, yeah, we have classes for everybody. Now, in Bonita Springs, I have a beginner-only class. And in Cape Coral, we're looking to add that as well for, like, a foundations class. Now, anybody can go to that class. I mean, a brown belt or, you know, a black belt can have that class if they so choose. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of foundations, uh, things you need to learn from the beginning, how to shrimp, how to move your hips, how to frame, how to break balls and whatnot. Uh, now, in the Cape, it's kind of intermixed. But we kind of group them together based upon their experience level. Um, and, it, and it works. Uh, we have good vibes in the gym. You know, every, everyone helps everybody. Um, you know, you'll see higher belt students taking their time to help out new students. And that's something I'm, I'm very proud of is that, um, how those guys give back to each other and, um, they look out for the new guys in the gym and that everybody feels comfortable. And that's one thing that's very important to me, that everybody feels comfortable, anybody from any walk of life and any, um, goal or aspiration they might have. Feels at home there, you know. and That's very important to me. I never want to have that Globo Gym feel, you know, where you walk <laughs> in, and swipe a card, and you're just, you know, you know, one, one in the ant mound or whatnot. You know, I, I go to. to, I to accommodated, you know.
0: I go to this gym with a bunch of purple equipment, and I often joke that part of the reason they have purple equipment is because it's hard to act like a badass when you're working on purple equipment. <laughs> but this particular gym, they they kind of have this. Theory or mantra about it's a judgment free zone, which I'm I'm yeah. I'm cool with. But the irony is because I'm I'm big into irony. I love irony, especially when it's lost on the people who are presenting the irony. They have this thing they call the lunk alarm, right? And when you start, they have a thing they call the lunk alarm.
1: Oh, I know what that
0: is. And so yeah. when you're grunting or you're dropping weights, they send off this alarm. Which once I, that don't bother me either. But the irony is, is the definition of a lunk is the most judgmental thing i've ever read when it comes to describing someone who goes to gyms and for yeah. a judge quote unquote judgment free zone to have one of the most judgmental nonsense written on the wall it just makes me laugh every time because it's like that's your whole mantra is your judgment free but you have this horrible thing written on your wall i just i always find it ironic yeah, oh, uh, absolutely!
1: <laughs> totally ironic, and I, I, totally, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know. Exactly but
0: hey, what it's ten dollars a month, and so let me ask you this: since we're we're bringing a little humor into this, uh, when Cobra Kai came out on Netflix, did you see a lot of forty and fifty year olds coming back in, living there, trying to relive their glory days and when they were young, and watching Karate Kid? Uh-huh.
1: You know, to tell you the truth, I, I didn't really notice. Um, I, I I haven't even seen it yet. I really that, that reminds me. I probably should get on that. I'm so behind when it comes to like movies and pop culture. Well, of course.
0: You know, you're running your like, own business. You're working full time. Yeah. You, you're working out. You're competing. If yeah, you, if I'm you so sat behind. Here, I'm
1: so bad with that.
0: If you sat here and told me you have seen it, I'd be like, well, where, where do you find the time? I mean, because <laughs> I do five, four or five podcasts. I run a business, and I work out. You know, I watch maybe three shows a day, and every one of them are on my DVR, and that's from like a ten thirty at night until midnight before I go to sleep. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't expect to have seen it.
1: Yeah, it's just I um we, now I do watch like Netflix series and stuff. Like me and my wife will like pick a series and watch it and and, and stuff. But actually, I haven't seen that movie yet. I, I really, I really should get on that. Um, but but yeah, no, I I we have a lot of um. We have a good range. We have a good range of, um, dude, as far as age. I mean, I have like my father in law trains. My my wife's father is fifty two. Sure. I'm um, retired from the military. He's a brown belt. He gets in there and rolls with the young guys every day. Um, and then we have guys. I have a ton of teenagers in there that love to compete. I have a lot of high school age boys that just you know they 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 get in there. They compete. Some of them compete. Um, they all hang out together, so it's 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 really cool to see how everybody of all you know ages and walks of life just come together there.
0: Well, and you kind of mentioned earlier that you're excited, and it it, it affects you in the deep cockles of your heart when you see your your uh, students of different um, talent level and different uh, degree levels as far as belts. They helping each other out, helping each other improve, yeah. and. One of the things I learned early on, because I was a skateboarder for 18 some odd years, uh-huh. is if you, and I, and I also moved a lot, and if you moved to a town where they only had like two or three skateboarders, or, you know, a few skaters hung out with each other, their skill level plateaued quite quickly. Whereas if you had a town where you had a more diverse group of skateboarders with varying skill level, and they, they would hang out in larger cliques and roll around, the new guys would, get better a hell of a lot quicker because they were watching the old guys. When I say old, I mean like 14 year old kids, but you know, the kids been doing it longer and the motivation and the, um, the education simply through sight and being around other people is it's insane. And I've talked about on this podcast before I would go out and run and I would never break a 10 minute mile. Couldn't break a 10 minute mile if I wanted to. And it wasn't till, you know, and I couldn't barely run three miles without stopping And it wasn't until I ran my first 5K that I was around a large group of people that that pack instinct comes in naturally. Uh And you naturally try to find your position in that group, in that hierarchy. And as you're running, your body instinctively knows, okay, I can maintain a pace better than this guy. There's no way I'm catching up with that guy. And there's just something to whether you're running with two people or five people on a Wednesday or you're running with 200 people at at a run. Just being around other people doing something, doing the same exact thing you are, it's tremendous. And and same kind of like you were saying earlier. Sometimes you work out in your gym, and sometimes you go to the to the to Anytime Fitness. And people are like, "Well, if you have a gym in your garage, why waste the money on the membership?" Because of that, when you're working out in your garage by yourself, it takes a lot more mental work to keep yourself to put in that full hour. Whereas if you're at a gym, even if you don't talk to people. Just being around that movement of being around the other people who are doing the same thing you are, even even at a different skill level, before you know it, you've been there 45 minutes. There's just something instinctive about it, and it just it always blows my mind when I think about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, because in my garage, I can uh, I can hog the bar for an hour. But at the gym, you know, if you're on the same equipment, you know, someone else might want to use it. So I go in, you know, do what I got to do and move on to something else. <laughs> you know. But I have noticed, you know, interesting you say that. I have noticed when I train in my garage alone that um I, I will take longer because I can take my sweet time, you know, whereas opposed to in the gym. That's another thing is I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm hogging the equipment or whatever. So I you know, I go to one machine or whatever, I do what I gotta do with my treadmill, whatever and then I move on with my day, you know, I move on to the next set, you know. But yeah, it's um yeah, I totally see your point.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was running the other night, and like now I like to prevent injury or to prevent myself from burning out, or like I was trying to run a half marathon, which I literally missed about a mile due to bad calculations. I ran twelve point ten instead of thirteen point five, but I won't get into that embarrassment. But I would like watch my Garmin, and I, and whereas before I could never hit a ten minute ten minute mile, now I gotta force myself to slow down to eleven, otherwise I'll be up to like an eight minute mile. It's like no, you know you're gonna get burnt out quick, you know. You have to kind of, no matter what you're doing, you have to be able to figure out a way to communicate with your body and adjust your body to, you know, maintain your stamina so that you can achieve what you're trying to get to.
1: Right. Definitely. Definitely.
0: What what was it like? Obviously, you wrestled for years. And so, you know, the competition side, that was well ingrained to you. But when you do your first MMA match, obviously you're when you spar people you know they're they're not going a 100 percent how does one get themselves into the mind state to say okay i'm walking into this cage and there is a very 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 high probability that i'm going to get punched in the face how do you how do you wrap your mind around that how do you get yourself prepared for that uh, honestly like the first one it was like
1: because i had four fights um so my my, my background is kind of like this. With the, res, with the wrestling, I have, you know, probably 200 wrestling matches, probably well over 200. In jiu I have 100 and whatever uh, matches. In MMA, I had about four. So, I, I, I yeah, I was three and one. I was three and one in the MMA. So, uh, but honestly, like my first one, I went out there and I was like, once that cage shut, I was just like, "Okay, we're here." <laughs> you know, I just got to deal with this. But I don't think you're ever really fully ready. You know what I mean? It's like I'm here and I'm gonna, you know, go for the win. You know, go my my, you know, follow my game plan. Which for me, I'm a grappler. You know, I gotta take this guy down and whatnot. You know, which luckily I did. Um, so it's just once that cage shuts and you hear that click, it's just like, "Okay, we're here. <laughs> let's do this." But I to tell you the truth, I wasn't fully ready. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know so i it, think the second one was the same way because my coach was like okay <laughs> he's like i want you to try to stand up with the kid a little bit you know and um i was like okay so the kid goes out i throw like a half-ass jab i didn't even connect and i just shoot put him down and i choked him. i think the whole match was like 30 seconds but i was like yeah i was, totally didn't follow any kind of you know, game plan was standing up because the whole plan was stand up, and you know we had a couple combos we were going to work. And, you know, a little bit of game plan for striking. I just immediately shot. <laughs> I just went right to my instinct.
0: And you just hope the training does what you know what you've been training to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I've been you know grappling you know most of my life, so that was my instinct. You know, that's where I felt feel safe. So <laughs> you know, a lot
0: of people think that MMA fighters. Like to get hit, and I was, believe it or not, listening to an interview with Tito Ortiz while back. and He said, No, even to this day, no. with all the fights, I don't want to get punched in the face. That shit hurts. I'm not down for it, man. He's like, That's what anybody that says that I think it's more of like their It's all part of their persona. Oh, yeah. I like
1: to get punched in the face. Nobody wants to get punched
0: in the face. Yeah, because you know, growing up, I was always the tallest cat in the class and one of well, the tallest cats in the school, and so I guess beneficially or Sadly, I, was never, I never really got into too many tussles. Nobody really wanted to mess with me, and I was smart enough that when I was a freshman in high school, a senior wanted to kick my ass, I would just <laughs> go the other way. And so I've never, I've never actually physically been, maybe you know, I've been in one or two little fights in middle school, but nothing you know, where there's any potential for any danger because everybody's still you know, building their muscle mass. So the only places I ever got into tussles, because I'm 41 and I grew up in the 90s when mosh pits were at their peak, I've gotten black eyes at corn concerts. I've gotten bloody noses at, you know, mosh pits. So most of my teenage youth beatings came voluntarily from mosh pits. And I guess there's a little bit of a, a similarity in the fact that you know going into it i knew that it was because back then it wasn't the jumping up and down and pushing each other like you're at football camp back then it was the circle pits and the fists flying and the elbows and the high knees and the high kicks the the punk rock style stuff and you knew going into it that you're probably going to take an elbow to the back of the head and all that and there was some adrenaline there and it's kind of the reason why we went for it it's kind of like yeah. hey here is a place where we could you know take a hit or so and not end up in juvie or have the cops called on us yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it's illegal
0: and so that was the only place i ever really took close to an ass and you know i've gotten a few elbows to the temples like i said a, a bloody nose uh-huh. a busted lip and all that but luckily due to my height and you know my frame i've never really had to concern myself too much with it so it's it's a little surprising once again when i talk to people who climb into a ring where there's no way out, and it's, hey, two minutes. Uh, you better get in there and grapple and do your thing before the guy does it to you first.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's always that kind of my game plan with like, jujitsu. I, I try to get in and out. You know, if I see a submission, I take it. You know, I, I definitely am you know, very submission-orientated, you know, especially if I think I can catch them quick, I do it because, you know, anything can happen at any time, you know. Anything can happen. It Doesn't matter the level of skill of the guy. Anybody can get caught on any given day. So if you see that opportunity, you you know put them away.
0: When it came time to come up with a name for your gym, where uh-huh. wh- how did you come about coming up with the name Black <laughs> Tie Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Well, is it Black Tie a as story. in like tuxedo or is it black?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story actually because I was <clears throat> we were going to a jiu jitsu tournament and uh we were we were killing time i was with one of my teammates and we were in five below and there was a tuxedo shirt and i was like hey you dare me to wear that tomorrow nice at the tournament and then he was like yeah i definitely i definitely dare you to wear that tomorrow i said i said i'll do it you don't think i'll do it he's like he's like go ahead okay i'll do it so i bought the shirt it was like five dollars it was a tuxedo shirt and i wore it to the tournament and uh i I ended up winning and, and whatnot but it was. I got a lot of compliments on it, you know. And then since I I performed very well that day, I was like, oh, maybe this was like good luck for me, you know what I mean? Maybe this should be like my like tradition to wear these. And uh, I started wearing them everywhere I went, you know, to to compete in and and whatnot. And uh, then when I started doing some super fights in jujitsu, um, which is the super fight is where like they'll have you set up in a ring or a cage. I would always wear it out to the ring or the cage. And um, that was always my thing. You know, I worked in my tournaments and I just decided that I wanted to, I like the vibe. And the reason I do it is because I like to go out there and have fun. I like to make people laugh. I want it to be, yeah, we're going to go at it. We're going to try to submit each other and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm here for fun. You know what I mean? I'm all smiles. I'm going to be your friend after and everything. Um, You know, we can do this and have fun doing it. Because nobody puts a gun to our head and makes us do this. We do it because we love it. So let's have fun with it. Um, and then when I would come out to my super fights, I'd come out to Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. <laughs> with the tuxedo shirt. People usually loved that. But that was my whole thing, just because I like to put that vibe out there. Uh, you know, let's, let's, I want to be funny. I want to have fun. You know, I go to tournaments, you know, especially like in the earlier years, like people would mean mug you and your opponents look you up and down. I'm not like that. You know, I'm always smiling. I have fun out there. So, that, so then when it came to dating my gym I just thought black tie was a natural you know a natural choice and then as far as the raccoon goes it was originally going to be a possum because I'm from Virginia and the possums and you know possums are their their literal name is called a Virginia possum so I wanted to make it a possum and then I decided on the raccoon because of the uh the mask looks kind of like a ninja and um the mask is black so the raccoons are, you know, they have that gray and black look to them. And well, there's a lot of raccoons where I live. They used to get in your trash. And stuff. So well, not to mention we the went fact with the that... with a raccoon and put the top hat on it, and that's how I came up with the name.
0: Well, not to mention the fact that possums aren't known for their fighting skills. They actually lay down. Yeah, no.
1: yeah, they just lay down. <laughs> that yeah. wouldn't deliver They're the message you're fighting. trying raccoons to... Raccoons are actually pretty, pretty, pretty nasty. Yeah,
0: <laughs> raccoons are rough, man. I have actually had a raccoon eat a parrot of mine, but that's a lot another story for another for an oh, episode. Yeah.
1: yeah, those things are mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So if people are in Cape Coral or uh, the Southwest Florida and they want to find one of your local gyms um, or people want to get more information on you, where can they find you on the Internet, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, all those good places? They
1: can go to www.blacktiebrazillianjujitsu.com. I think it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um My wife runs it with a website. I believe it's www. yeah, www.blacktiebrazillianjujitsu.com. You can find me on Instagram at CoreyBlackTie. Corey Black Tie Jiu Jitsu, and um, then you can also find me on Facebook like It's Corey Brown. Um, I'll pop up if you search my name in like Cape Coral. Um,
0: yeah, or and that's you can, black, you can uh, find me with that. Uh, yeah, I just want to let people know if you're looking for the website, it's Black Tie Brazilian Jew, Hyphen dot com. Don't forget to put the hyphen in there between jujitsu, jitsu oh it okay, yeah, there's okay. A hyphen. i wasn't
1: 100 sure i'm pretty sure that yeah and you can give them okay, a call
0: right. at 239-877-0574 that's 239-877-0574 that's
1: correct yep and uh Brittany will answer that phone that's my wife she uh she's awesome she helps me with the phones and the and whatnot while i'm teaching so she's she'll you'll speak to her she's great um and yeah everyone's welcome you know first class you know come in don't worry about it just bring gym clothes if you don't owe me anything just come in try it out and we'll 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 find what works for you we also offer striking classes on um, in cape coral so um we'll find what fits you and um yeah i'll go from there something for everybody
0: his name's Corey brown he does everything yep. he'll kick your ass three ways on <laughs> monday He's the uh, founder and head instructor at the Black Tie Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, in Cape Coral and Bonita. Thank you so much, Corey, for uh, sitting down with us for this episode. And if there's uh, any little thing you would say to someone who came to you, whether they're wanting to uh, lose weight or start a business or you know they're, they feel like they're spinning their wheels in life and they're, they're kind of scared to make a move, that sort of thing, is there any words of wisdom you would give to somebody who's just trying to figure out what to do with their life?
1: Honestly, yes. the the one the one thing I would say is there's never going to be a perfect time. I think a lot of times people hesitate to pull the trigger on stuff because they're like, I got to wait for the right time. There's never going to be a right time. You know what I mean? Like I, for example, like I'm very happy with, with my my move here and how things are going, but it was very hard for me to leave my hometown in Virginia and I was it, it was tough, you know, it wasn't a perfect time, but I I knew there was never going to be a perfect time. I had to just pull the trigger. Like, that's just an example. Um, But, like, there's never going to be a perfect time for you to start anything, you know, whether you start jiu-jitsu or a business. You just got to, if you want it, you just got to get up and do it. There's never going to be a perfect day or month or or whatever. You just got to do it, you know. When you know you want it, you got to go for it right there. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. You got to pull the trigger because the time's going to pass anyway.
0: You know, you're saying that and you just helped me write a new ending to the show. And that is, if you never get out of your comfort zone, you'll never get out of bed. Right. So go out and chase it. Life is short. Life is hard. Do what you got to do to meet your personal goals, to contribute to your community, to your family, because one day you'll wake up dead.
1: That's right. That's right. There'll never be a perfect day. I think too often people, they wait too long to to try something or to start a business. And you don't want to look back and say, I should have or I could have. Just go for it. If you fail then then so what you get up and try again but there's never going to be a perfect time like moving here like i told you how i bought my house and, and whatnot that was very tough and very scary i had a, i had two daughters you know my, my three-year-old was a brand new infant at the time it was a terrifying move. but you know now it it, it, it worked out and i couldn't be happier with, with where i'm at you know what i mean i'm not a rich person i'm not a rich man but i i'm very happy very happy This has been a Digital 410 production.